Due to the graphic nature of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussion of murder and assault that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. This is a prepaid collect call from an incarcerated individual at County Detention Center. This call is not private. It will be recorded and may be monitored. Guess what time it is? It's time for crime! In this episode, we'll be discussing Pamela Phillips' case. We hope to answer the following questions. Who owes you money? Where would you go if you had $2 million? And who's the most famous person you know? So listen in and find out more. But for now, try not to end up on an episode unless you're a guest. Hey guys, this is your host, Vanny. And this is Kat. Welcome, new friends, and welcome back, our little stalkers. We hope to capture more of you today with this new episode. So before we get going, I just got to say I am glad to be back again. Yay. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys. So how was your week? How's things going? Um, we're in like a spooky season. I love spooky season. Oh, I know. October, my favorite time. I love October. I'm pretty sure my little mini me is going to be into Halloween as well. She loves wearing hats and sunglasses and all kinds of masks. So I think we're in the right path. <laughs> and for those that haven't been able to see or don't follow on Facebook, oh my God, Gabs is absolutely a mini me. <laughs> she's got Vanny's eyes. She's just got the little attitude and the little head tilt. She's got it going on. Oh yeah. For she sure. sports the sunglasses. Yeah, that's hilarious. <laughs> she's a lot of work, though, I will say. That makes me question myself since she's my mini-me. Maybe I'm too high maintenance. Why's <laughs> 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 Peter spinning up with me? It's okay. <laughs> well, poor Peter. Now he has two. <laughs> yeah. You know, he has two. Now he has to worry about two. But we're excited. The holidays are approaching, guys. So we know that uh, we'll keep you guys entertained with some of our crazy upcoming cases that we're we've been discussing on what we're going to be working on next so we're excited for you guys for now let's uh remind everybody what last week's question of the week was and kat i will read the question and i'll um, you answer our little question from last week okay what is organized crime okay organized crime is involved in corruption of public officials illegal infiltration of legitimate businesses gambling, loan sharking, laundering of illicit funds, murder, labor racketeering, extortion, counterfeiting, prostitution, and drug trafficking. Basically, corporate America. <laughs> Just kidding. Pretty much. <laughs> you know, they kind of forgot the makers of cement shoes. <laughs> makers of <laughs> cement shoes. And boy, has Arizona seen some of those at the lake. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's very interesting. Some of those cases are really old cases and people are solving them now because we're losing water in Arizona and all of a sudden you find bodies that were thrown in lakes. That's yeah, pretty on, crazy. Yeah, on the Nevada side of the lake. Makes you question casinos and everything in between. So Yeah, because it's not just, you know, finding some bones at the bottom of the lake. They're finding them in sealed drums and different things. Yes, that's pretty crazy to me. Yeah, very, very mobbish. Yep. 
that's exactly where I'm going with it. That's what it reminds me of is very mob. Uh, what you see in movies, especially like definitely Godfather vibes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, as they're fishing them out, at least Clark County is taking them. So yay. <laughs> take the body, take the case. We're busy enough. Got a lot going on for sure. Well, we're going to jump into our new case. This is also another exciting and interesting case that definitely would, I would think that Hollywood would have made a big movie on this already because definitely some crazy twists and turns and who you know kind of situation. So yeah. Um, on November 1st of 1996, a millionaire from Tucson climbed into his Lincoln Town car at a golf course when a pipe bomb exploded. A mystery of twists and turns that happens to this rich man will make you believe in the Black Widow. And if you guys remember what the Black Widow was from pre- previous episodes, we gave a pretty great definition on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dot, go back and re-listen. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Well, we're going to jump into this case. We're going to go a little bit in the background. We'll get into the actual case and conviction and give you, share some conspiracies, too, and maybe some updates, you guys. So this is an exciting case. So, Kat, I'll have you jump in to give some of the background, and um, we'll just go from here. Okay. Well, uh, we start off with uh, Gary Triano, who was a real estate developer down in Tucson. And he uh, had uh, married Mary Cram, and they had two children, Heather and Brian. And he was known as a wheeler dealer, and they got divorced. And then Gary went on to... uh, marry his second wife, Pamela Phillips, on October 4th, 1986 in San Diego. She was a one-time model, real estate agent, and socialite. So Gary and Pamela had two children themselves, Trevor and Lois, before their bitter divorce in 1993. So these guys were kind of going at it. So at the time of the divorce, Triando filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, claiming $40 million in debt after several failed business dealings regarding Indian casinos. So that those were when they were up and coming, when they um, the tribes got the okay, at least in Arizona, to go ahead for the casinos. So then you had you know people coming in and trying to make deals on the land and then make deals on the construction and all that kind of stuff. I thought what was what, what one of the interesting fun facts about Gary was he was a longtime Tucson resident. Um, he even graduated from Rincon High School. He earned his degree in accounting from the University of Arizona and also attended University of Arizona's law school. He just says he attended. I don't know if he ever finished. I'm assuming he didn't finish school, the law school. I yeah, I, it says he went, but I'm I'm going to go that he didn't finish. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, so they had. Bitter divorce. And then Phillips decided to move to Aspen with the children. So she left Gary in Tucson. She went up to Aspen and she continued with her career in real estate. While she was up there skiing on the hills and having <laughs> hot toddies in the, in the lodge, um, she uh, became involved with Ronald Young. So she decided that she started filing complaints against Triando for harassment in 94, and the cases were thrown out. And then in March 10th of 94, she was arrested for dumping a glass of water on him. She had come back to, to Arizona for whatever her reason was, but she um, threw a glass of water at him at the Pima Country Club. Not country club activity. They frown on that. <laughs> for real, they do. 
all this is going on, tit for tat, getting divorced, etc. So then Pamela has a $2 million life insurance policy on Gary. And she's making regular payments up until October 1995. So they've been divorced for two years and she's still making payments on the life insurance policy. So then she, I don't know what her reasoning was, but she decided to change the payments over to her friend, Joy Bancroft. Hmm. Okay. And as long as the premium's getting paid. So now we're at October 1996 and your Belinda Police Department recover an abandoned car rented by Ron Young, the guy she met in Aspen. So inside the car is a sawed-off shotgun, a laptop, a credit report in Philip's name and Triando, and then uh, the divorce records. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very suspicious there. Kind of weird stuff to find in an abandoned car and in California. One of the things I want to mention is um, you, if you Google Joy Bancroft and who she is and who's making this payments on the life insurance, her husband was one of the owners of Dow Jones. <laughs> That's how wealthy they are. Yeah. It's a very interesting connection. So we'll go, we'll talk about that a little later, but I just want to make that quick mention. Yeah. She was an upper socialite. Mm-hmm. So they, so police in Yorba Linda find a car that was rented and abandoned by Ron Young in October. November 1st, Triando is at uh, La Paloma Resort. He's playing golf. When he finishes, he goes to his car, starts it up, and kablooey! Jeez, another bomb, guys. Another pipe bomb. Needless to say, it scattered pieces of the car for quite a distance. And of course, uh, it killed Triano. The same day... Phillips sends a missed October payment for his life insurance. So he's, he is blown up on November 1st and she realizes, Oh, we haven't made the October payment. So she races to pay the October payment because instead of worrying about your husband or your ex-husband, how he's doing, got to make that insurance payment. Okay. The company did investigate and, uh, they wound up paying her a total of $2.2 million. A lot of money. So the police are coming around, doing their thing, and then she declines to speak with Pima County detectives. She's like, nope, not having it. And one of, one of the requests they wanted her to do was take a lie detector, and she was just like, nope, because she already knew probably that she would not pass that lie detector test. Yeah, exactly. So she's got the money, and... You know, because they, they investigated and they, they went ahead and they paid the claim out. So then, you know, the case is sitting here, you know, kind of cold. And then on a November 21st, 2005, a viewer leads Florida police to the arrest of Young on an outstanding felony fraud charge in Aspen. Mm -hmm. See, the state charges are dropped, but he was um, convicted on federal charges gun violation and spends a year in federal prison. And so I think they went back to what they found in the abandoned car because I think that's how he got the uh, gun violation was the sawed off shotgun that they found in the car. Yeah. He was actually a few days before the cops showed up at um, his home or wherever they met up with him. He was actually on America's most wanted and somebody called in with a tip 
as a viewer that watched that series that uh, gave the arrest, the Florida police the location of where to arrest him. That was such a great show. I was shocked when they canceled it. They got so many people off of that show. Yeah, they've gotten a, they did get a lot of people. And what they called them on the show was a person of interest in the case as requested by the U.S. Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. And it definitely had to tie back to what they found in that abandoned car. So then we move up to September 6, 2006, and Peeba County Sheriff's investigators searched the Phillips Aspen home, and they publicly name her as a suspect. That had to have been tough for a socialite to get, like, yeah, printed that in, in public. Yeah. Who, me? Then in November of 2007... Triando's children from his first marriage filed a wrongful death civil suit against Philip and Young. So I thought that was kind of interesting. So now they've publicly named her. You know, things are starting to heat up. The kids have filed a lawsuit. So in September 2008, she leaves the U.S. for London and then Milan, Italy. Because, hey, she's got $2.2 million. Why not? Why stay around? Yeah. Her attorney... Later tell sheriff investigator she's gone to live near her daughter in Switzerland. Yeah, she's in Switzerland, but she's really in Milan, Italy. <laughs> so then October 2008, Young is arrested in Yorba Linda on charges of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder. So it's like, dun-dun-dun. It's coming. It's slowly coming. Then in November 2009, the two Triandos children that sued prevail in the wrongful death case against Phillips and Young, and they're awarded $10 million. Quite a bit of money. Yeah. So then, on December 3rd, 2009, Phillips is arrested in Vienna, Austria, in connection with Triando's murder. So just when you thought it was safe, now she's hiding in Austria, and, you know, <laughs> the whole sound of music thing comes through my head. You know, this whole time that I was reading this, uh, getting to know this case a lot, um, the fact that she moved to Aspen, Colorado, the first thing I thought of was Dumb and Dumber. I don't know why, but maybe because they <laughs> go to Aspen, Colorado to go find that girl. But all I kept thinking was that was Dumb and Dumber. Like, why would you go <laughs> Why would you go to Aspen, Colorado, Dumb and Dumber? Uh, so then in February 2010, Young goes on trial. His defense team argues he had nothing to do with it, but learned details from Phillips and use the knowledge to extort her. Interesting. There's a new twist. Mm-hmm. He knew of the plot, so yeah, I'm going to extort money from you. Pay me so I don't tell. He freaked out. He basically freaked out. Yeah. March 2010, jury finds Young guilty. He's sentenced to life. Uh, the Arizona Appeals Court rules a new sentence must be imposed, and so now Young, he's sentenced to 25 years to life. So again, he went from life to 25 to life. So he has a chance, you know, to get out of the pokey. I mean, by then he'll be really old. Yeah, they dropped the hammer on him big time. Well, in July of 2010, Little Miss Phillips is extradited to Tucson from Austria. She's arraigned on first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. Mm -hmm. So then in October of 2010, her defense team very astute, decides to seek mental health evaluation. Competency. <laughs> now that she's caught, yeah, we're going to challenge her, her mental competency. But this I thought was funny. So they seek the mental health eval in October. By March, 
2011, doctors declare that Phillips is malingering and exaggerating her symptoms. And she's <laughs> deemed competent. So meanwhile, you know, she's wasted six months of pretending to be crazy. And the doctors see right through her and went, you're fine. You're out of here. Adios. I wish I knew what kind of exaggerating stuff she was doing because for the doctor to be like straight up calling her out on that, it had to be very obvious. So they deemed she was competent. But then in September 2011, a Pima County judge reverses his decision and agrees to another mental health evaluation. Sound like another case in the news lately? <laughs> Doomsday mom? Does that ring any bells? Seriously. I'm competent. I'm not. I am. I'm not. Yeah. It is pretty much a repeat here. So then in December 2011, she's declared incompetent, but doctors say she can be restored. So this is, they're going to restore her through the magical powers of pharmacology. Yes. Because that's how they do it, folks. <laughs> Somebody's incompetent, pull out the pharmaceutical. Happy drugs. Yeah. All the little candies. And then we get back on track. But they were able to pull this together, even though it seemed like it took a really, really long time. But um, they pulled phone records and they were able to detail conversations between Phillips and Young. Mm -hmm. So her lawyers claimed that Neil McNeese was responsible for Triando's death because Triando owed him money. And they claim the investigation was botched from the start and that she is a victim because Young was extorting her. So she's trying to throw this in, you know, two, two mm -hmm. three different directions. Couldn't possibly be me because of all this. So the defense was trying to claim that this guy, Jeffrey Morris, uh, who had had some info in 1997 on the Triando murder, he is just an informant trying to cut a deal for himself. And Morris uh, was serving time when the murder happened, and he told prosecutors he didn't have any info, and he lied to federal authorities. Jeez. But um, this Neil McNeese that Pamela had mentioned earlier, he was a uh, uranium prospector, and he had a drug history and some erratic behavior. But McNeese kept a ledger of people that owed him money, and I really thought this was hilarious. <laughs> so he had this ledger. And so the first person on his list, because um, he called it his hit list. And these, these were people who owed uh, McNeese money. And so the number one person on his hit list was Gary Triando. Okay. The number two person on his hit list was a guy by the name of Tom Billick. And this is my favorite. Guess who number three was? Oh, just take a wild guess. I have no idea who the third one is, <laughs> believe it or not. <laughs> Number three in Mr. McNeese's Little Black Books of You Owe Me Money is none other than Vince Neal of Motley Crue. Oh, my gosh. What the? Wow. Of all the things. Now, he did have a history of erratic behavior, so it could just be he was listening yeah. to Motley Crue and wrote Vince Neal's name in there. But I just thought that was really funny. That's yeah, pretty Two intense. people you probably have never heard of. And then, yeah, Vince McNeil of Motley Crue. Because he odd. would owe a uranium prospector money. Why? Very odd. Yeah. Keeping in mind that he had a drug history and erratic behavior, but that's who Pamela was trying to point the finger at. Look, look, Gary was in his book. So was Vince Neal. And as far as I know, Vince is still alive and kicking. So mm -hmm. I. 
<laughs> very odd. Very odd. Don't know what to make of that. I just thought that was funny. I'm like. That is funny. So then we have in uh, 2006, 10 years after Triando's death, Detective uh, John McWinney enters the investigation. And he was able to start uncovering emails between Phillips and Young as part of the investigation. And that's how they were able to tie their conspiracy, conspiracy. and tie them together and their, their plan and plot for the murder. You know, she was giving him, you know, instructions on things to do. And then he was doing it. And they had all these emails going back and forth. So that is how they were able to pull all this together. Then the ATF agents were able to reconstruct a replica of the bomb and it required a remote controller and where have we seen that before and so whoever set it off had to have line of sight in order to be able to detonate and we we learned that you know in the bowls case that yep, they had to have case. line of sight to to hit the detonator so uh, the prosecution at trial claimed that Phillips paid $400,000 to Young for the hit she claimed that he extorted $400,000 from her. Mm-hmm. But comes, the truth comes out. But either way, $400,000 exchange hands. So even though there was a little bit more to closing your eyes and stabbing, he had to put together a pipe bomb in that, but he got 400000 Better odds. So Phillips, finally, she went to trial. They, com- they completed everything, and she was uh, found guilty on May twenty second, 2014. She was found guilty of first-degree murder, conspiracy, murder for hire, and to collect insurance money. And this trial this trial was crazy. It lasted seven weeks. Yeah, but the jury deliberated for three days. They were like, we already know the answer. No, no. Let's just talk it all out. Make sure we're all on the same page and go through everything. I mean, that's pretty much what I feel like the jury probably did. They were like, we already, this is definitely red flags. Fake on the competency and all. Oh, really? One of the things that I thought was very interesting about Pamela when she was overseas was that she actually got arrested for an unrelated criminal offense by the Interpol. When they went back and did like did a pullback of her name, it was red flagged by the FBI. And that's how she ended up getting extradited. Had she not done, I think it was like she was drinking or driving or something small that she got pulled over. And had that not had she not done that, she probably still would have been away out in the uh, international different country doing something else and getting away. Yeah, she was of very well connected. So not only did she know the wall street people, but she used to in Tucson on a regular basis, hang out with Donald Trump and his then wife, Marla. Yeah. And they would go to the um, U of a basketball games, the wildcat basketball games. She was very uh, involved socialite. She knew a lot of wealthy people and it probably stemmed a lot to why she wanted to continue this lavish lifestyle that she had from, you know, with being with her millionaire husband, she got to know a lot of people through Gary. She um, was pretty young. She was a blonde socialite back in the nineties. That was like, she was the, yeah, she girl. was a model. So come on, you can't, you she can't pull your own weight. You've got friends in high places. Mm-hmm. Your first thought is, you know, he pissed me off. So let me kill him. Interesting though, that during her trial, what's his name? The guy from, the Dow Jones, what's his, what oh, his name? Oh, yeah, a Baylock or... Oh, um, Hugh Bancroft. He actually was stood to stand and they asked him all kinds of questions if she was trying to, like, 
get money off of them because she was renting a really expensive house in Aspen, but got upgraded to like a $2 million house and upgraded that $2 million house. So, you know, they were trying to figure out where the heck was she getting all this money, but he said he wasn't involved, but I think Joy had a lot of influence or was giving her money to continue paying some of the stuff. So that was very interesting. I have a little conspiracy thinking that maybe, you know, they try to make sure that she got that $2 million so she can continue this lavish lifestyle. Oh, yeah. Because imagine that, you know, get divorced. First place you go is Aspen with two kids. Very interesting. One of the interesting thing about this case, too, is that her aunt, Royal Phillips is her aunt's name, by the way. She wrote a book called The Ugly Duck. Ooh. And um, it's basically the whole like life, the true life story of what, you know, being a beautiful girl, socialite, manipulation, and, and murdering her husband. So, And when he was murdered, the day that he was violently killed uh, through that pipe bomb, it was actually his birthday. November 1st of 96 was his birthday. Wow. So I thought some of these things were very interesting, like how cruel that they happened to do it on his birthday. Like he was out enjoying his time. He always was at the golf course. Um, but he did struggle financially. He had a lot of debt that accumulated over time and he ended up like I said doing that bankruptcy so I'm sure she was not too happy about it and because he was such a well-known connected person socialite this girl um, it was televised on several programs it was on Dateline NBC Dateline on ID 48 hours snapped American Greed um, it was like a episode from 2015 of Widow's Web Fatal Vows and Vengeance Killer Millionaires so very interesting that it got a lot of actual media and how long it took for all of this to go down. It's oh, crazy yeah. Too. And part of me wondered, too, if they were having problems, maybe he was thinking that, yeah, she was a bit of a gold digger. And I wonder how much he might have padded the bankruptcy. Yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying like he fabricated the whole thing, but was that sort of a way to hide if, if I just, you know, things are going bad the business wise with the casinos. So if I just go file full on bankruptcy, then she can't get it. Right. And I wonder if that was part of it or that's the way she took it. Oh, you're just trying to hide assets. Mm -hmm. I'll fix you. Yeah, there was definitely something going on there. He probably knew that when they got divorced, that she was going to take most of his money and run with it. So that led him to maybe file the bankruptcy. And yeah. he called it several failed businesses. And there was most of it was dealing with the Indian casinos at the time. So I'm assuming that's when the casino started happening in Arizona was in the in the 90s or maybe 80s. Yeah, I think it was kind of the 90s that they got the full go. Because like they're sovereign, so they can do what they want. And the federal government can't stop them. Mm hmm. It's Indian land. And I do know that they made agreements and arrangements with the governors of like how big they could be, how many machines they could have, et cetera. But um, yeah, you can't stop them because it's on the res. Which, by the way, if you're drinking and driving at the casino and you get pulled over by a cop, it's probably a cop from the reservation and it's not actually a cop, a local cop. I've seen that happen a lot. They do have some different rules on the res, though. So beware of that. Absolutely. I just think it's very sad that, you know, this poor man was at his highlight of his life. Like his, I mean, at least his other two kids stood up and filed that civil lawsuit and they got some kind of money out of it. But what about the two kids that he had with Pamela? Like I didn't, I couldn't find anything um, between the two kids. What was the kid's name? Uh, Trevor and Lois. They probably just tried to disappear, poor things. 
yeah, so I feel bad for those kids too because I'm sure they had to deal with all of this and who knows if she stays in communication with them because she... You know, you lose your dad. You don't want to think your mom was the one responsible. She is here in uh, Arizona Perryville Prison, which is a women's prison here in Arizona. And from my research after looking an inmate search, some of the funny things about I found about her was uh, in 2018, she got in trouble for prison contraband. She was bartering and trading stuff, uh, disobeying a verbal order, and she refused a job assignment. And as, so I was like, oh, I wonder what kind of job assignment did she have? So I had to like dig a little deeper, I'm right? a socialite. I don't work. <laughs> She's worked in the kitchen this whole time since she, since 2014. She was kitchen helper. She was, now she's a cook, but I guess from March 11th of 2022 till March 28th, she was a porter. It doesn't say where or what, just says other labor. So that was very interesting. Clean the toilets and sweep and I love it. That's but hilarious. she's at the Santa Cruz unit, so it's a little bit of the lowest medium Yeah, she's custody. on a medium unit. Wow. So here she's the socialite, and she's stuck working. And then we got Doris Carlson, who never worked a day in her life, and is probably still not working. <laughs> exactly. Very interesting cases, all I have to say, is that what is going on with Arizona and bombing and suitcases and... I know, dismemberment, scattering... Wow. Crazy. All these cases that we've touched, it just really opens up my eyes about some of these things. So it's kind of scary. But that kind of concludes our uh, our case for today. I mean, this poor rich man um, really was married to a black widow. I mean, I, that's what I like to say. That's kind of how the beginning of this this case started for me. But it was a very interesting and troubling case for sure. And I just feel bad that the family had to go through this for such a long time. I mean, she left because she knew she was going to get caught. So... Oh, yeah. Take the money and run. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't that much money. I mean, if you look at it now, it's definitely not a lot of money. Two million dollars is not a lot. At the time, I'm sure it probably was. But how long was she going to live off of that? Until she found her next rich husband, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, really. Sensing a pattern here. <laughs> but uh, before we get going, I'd like to remind everybody, of, uh, give everybody the question of the week. And that is, who is, and I air quote this, the mafia? I Ooh. like that. Who is the mafia? So we'll get a little history about the mafia next episode, guys. But until then, go ahead and uh, check us out on our social media. Our Facebook page is up and running, and we love your guys' engagements and interactions. Our website, and make sure to share our podcast with your friends and family that also are true crime people that love to hear some interesting crime and get to hear Kat and I talk a little bit and give some confessions. There is not very many confessions in this episode for us, but... The confessions were interesting about Trump and the Dow Jones guy. I definitely think that was an interesting confession. So, <laughs> And next week's episode, we'll be discussing um, Brian Patrick Miller's case, which yeah. is a case He's on trial right now. Currently going, so we thought we'd discuss a little bit on that case. This is an older case, but it got a shot in the arm, so never too late for a cold case. Absolutely. So... Um, we thank you guys for listening in and we ask you guys to take care, be safe and be kind out there. Yep. Take care. And thanks to everybody who has asked to participate on the Facebook page. Look forward to your comments. Until then, we'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. All right, you guys take care. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.
Time for Crime is a podcast about true crime, prison life, and the opinions from the people who've worked on the inside. Please follow us and leave a five-star review on your favorite podcatching software. Help us get our voice out there. You can get more information about the podcast and this case at www.timeforcrime.net. Look for us on Twitter at Time for Crime One or on Facebook at Time for Crime Vanny Cat. Feel free to leave us a comment on our voicemail at 623-292-5871. We might even put your call on the podcast. Like it, love it, and share it, but please credit the hosts Vanessa Nunez and Kathy Delaney for their commitment to the podcast and service to the community. We'd like to send a special thanks to Nickel Ninth for the music in this podcast. We'd also like to thank Dave Kaiser and Peter Ninth for their support of the podcast and website. And most importantly, we'd like to thank you, the listener. Without you, we couldn't bring you this podcast. Take care, everyone.